Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers is way towards the beginning of the Bible. Uh, so you can just start at the beginning, start leaving through. Numbers 13 and 14, like Pastor Britt said, we are, um, we are in the uh, third week of this series called Greater Than, the idea being that God is greater than our emotions. The one we're going to talk about tonight is fear, so it just applies to everybody. So we got a lot to do, and let's just dig in. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. This is very important. You might want to underline this. So he's not saying send people to spy out the land of Canaan to see if you might be able to move into the land of Canaan. So in God's mind, this is a done deal. It was done all the way back to Abraham. This is the promised land because God promised to give it. And so these, these men are not going in um, to kind of seek the will of God, but to reap the will of God. God has already established through his covenant with Abraham a long time ago, back in Genesis that we covered uh, sometime last year, that, that God is going to give this land. So send, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And then the next chunk of scripture goes through the list of who the spies are. Now, here's the thing. There's 12 spies, and you've only heard of two of them. That's very, very important. And in fact, the two that you've heard of are very common names, Joshua and Caleb. Some of you name your children after them and those sort of things. And nobody in here has named their kids after any of the other spies. All the other spies, it looks like they have weird names. The reason they have weird names is because you've never heard of those names. That's all. And here's why you know Joshua and Caleb and you don't know the other 10 dudes, all right? Verse 17, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said, go up to Negeb. And go up to the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether there are few or, or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, which literally means do not be afraid, okay? So as you're going in to spy, do not be afraid. Maybe you've heard this before. If you've been coming here, you probably heard me say this a lot that the most commanded command in Scripture is some version of do not be afraid or take courage or don't be anxious or don't worry or be strong and courageous. That 366 times in the King James Version, the Bible says <clears throat> to us some version of don't be afraid. Why do you think God has a verse for every single day of the year for us not to be afraid? Here's why. Because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. The reason you have to keep telling your kids over and over and over and over you can't eat potato chips in the bed is why? Because those little rugrats want to eat potato chips in the bed, you know? I've never had to command my kids to not brush their teeth. They can do it on their own. You have to command them to brush their teeth every single day. So 366 times we get from the scriptures, don't be afraid. So he says, be of good courage and, and, and I like this, and bring me some fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And so, again, this, this little spy mission is to get information, not to see if they were going to move into the land, not to seek the will of God. The will of God has already been established in the covenant with Abraham that this is the promised land. I am giving you this land. It is to reap the will of God. And so <clears throat> they go and they spy, verse 25, and at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron, 
and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. This is, this is its fruit, verse 28. However, now, <clears throat> all throughout the scriptures, whenever you see the word but or however, if God is saying it, it's typically a really, it's really good news. And if people are saying it, it's typically really bad news. So the land is awesome, God, just like you said it was going to be. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's got sweet fruit. It's a good, good land. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. I'll explain that in a minute. The, the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. All right? So they're like, there's a lot of people there, and, and they're kind of scary. And so this is the report back that these 10 spies are given. And then verse 30, but Caleb, here's one of the guys that you remember. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. You see, you see the 10 spies come in fear, and Caleb responds in faith. Do you know anybody like this? You know anybody, like, no matter what the situation, those faith-filled, God-honoring people, there's no hill too big, there's no mountain too high, there's no sea too wide, that no matter what God throws my way, they say, hey, man, I think we got this. I think we got, this is the kind of dude Caleb is, all right? So when everybody else is afraid, Caleb's like, hey, whoa, 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 let us go up at once. Like, let's wait. Let's not even wait. Let's go right now. I'm ready. I just got back. I know how to get back there. Follow me. We've got this. Let's go. And then, <clears throat> then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. You know people like this? That no matter what's happening, they're like, eh. no matter what, they kind of rain on the parade. So you've got these 10 guys in fear saying, look, I don't think we can pull this off. And a part of what Caleb says is like, did you not hear in the beginning what God said? That he has given this to the land. It doesn't matter how strong or how tall these dudes are with God on our side. That just means they got a long way to fall. No problem at all. Let's do this. And then the other spies, full of fear, they say, hey, we're not able to go up against the people. For they're stronger than we are. Verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. Now remember, the reality of the report of the land is that it's a good land. But in fear, here's the report they give. <clears throat> so they bring a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. No, it doesn't. They just brought back, like, grapes and pomegranates and sweet fruit, okay? It's a good land. It's not eating the people. The people are eating it. It's just not true. And all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, you know what that is. It's from Genesis 6-4. There's this verse that nobody knows what it means, and everybody thinks they do, about how the angels uh, mingled with women and had these huge baby giants called Nephilim. I don't even know what that means. Figure it out for yourself, okay? But essentially, it's, it's almost like this mythical kind of creature thing that's, that's in Genesis 6-4. And, and it says, and there we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And so they see like, you know, giants and boogeymen, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. 
So you got 10 guys that say, I don't think we can do it, boss. I'm telling you, they're huge. And there's, there's like, I mean, there's giants there. And, 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 the, and the land devours the people. And they're these mythical creatures that are part angel beast and part people. And, I, and we, we look like grasshoppers. And I think they're going to squish us and use us as fishing bait. You understand? It is not good. You see, one of the things that fear can do in us, man, fear leads to escalating fears. Fear leads to escalating fears. And, and it's like when you're scared of the dark. If you're scared of the dark, you begin to see things that are not really there. You know what I mean, right? Or, and if you try to, if you try to, like the crazy thing about fear is, is fear chunks facts all the time. Like if your kid is afraid of the dark, you're like, that is not a boogeyman. Turn on the light. See, it's your hoodie. Turn off the light. He's back. Did we not just go over this? It's just true. And fear causes you to see things that aren't there. Fear causes, I mean, it just, it just, you lose all logic when you are afraid. And I don't know if you've ever been like really, really scared. I was trying to think through of some times in my life um, where I was scared. I really, I really don't operate in fear that much. But I remember one time um, when Gretchen and I were dating. I probably should have run the story by her. So uh, Gretchen and I were dating. <clears throat> and it was the first time I was going to go. I think I'd met her parents before, but the plan was we were going to go to her home, and I was going to spend the night at her house, okay? And we were dating, and, and they didn't really love me a lot right at the beginning, but then, you know, once they got to know me a little bit, what's not to love? And so, <clears throat> and they're awesome. My in-laws are great, all right? They're, they're mountain folks. They live in the western part of Virginia. It's an insult if you call people who live in Virginia West Virginians, you know, they're insulted by that. And so, sorry, West Virginia, it's just true. And then, and so we go up there, and they live on this mountain. They live, like, right on the side of this mountain. So, like, one side of their house is, like, even with them, it's like the roof is even with the ground. And then on the other side of the house, it's like three stories. You know what I mean? So it's just the whole deal. Most of the people there, they have one leg shorter than the other so they can stand up straight on the mountains, okay? I'm pretty sure, I think. <laughs> Part Billy Goat, I think. All right, so, incredible people. My in-laws are awesome. Love them, love them, love them. And so, <clears throat> naturally, I'm already... You remember this, guys? Remember when you first met, you, you know, your bride-to-be's parents? And, and I hadn't asked yet. Like, we weren't that far along. And so I'm thinking, man, it's getting kind of serious, you know. I'm meeting the folks, and you want to be on your best behavior and, and, and be tough and yet still tender and all of that kind of stuff. And so you're, you know, you're freaking out. And so it comes time to go to bed, and <clears throat> Gretchen goes into her old room where she grew up in, you know. And then I get the couch, like, on this kind of front room. It's on the end of the house. <clears throat> and, you know, they make, the, make my little deal, and I get on the couch, and no problem. And I'm still kind of nervous, you know, just from the day and all that. I'm hoping it went well, and, and, and you know, it's just, it's just kind of whatever it is. And then, so the way their house sits, they live on this, on this kind of country road that's sort of busy, and right next to it, there are railroad tracks. And, and my, my in-laws, I mean, they're trained people. My father-in-law worked for CSX for 100 million years, and he drove trains all over the place, and so they're into trains. And so right across, you know, there's the house, and then there's this, this country highway, and then there are these train tracks. And the highway or the road, it takes a little bend in the road, and the train tracks just mirror that bend with the road. And so, in the middle of the night, they didn't tell me, because why would you tell a guest this? That would be silly. That on certain nights at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, that a train is just going to come out of the house. You know, very Johnny Cash. I hear the train coming, right, <clears throat> rolling around the bend. And that's exactly what it did. And so about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, here comes the train, and, and I'm dead asleep. I sleep really well most every night of my life. But, um, uh, you know, as the train's coming, the house literally starts shaking. I mean, it's, you know, it's shaking like this. And the window, and the window panes in the room I'm in are, you know, they're shaking. And then I wake up to like, oh, what is, you know, what's happening? 
<laughs> so on the couch, and there's the front of the house. And again, so if you look straight out of the end of this house, then you see the train tracks are there, but obviously the train tracks turn with the road, and it's many yards away from the house. But when I wake up in the middle of the night, literally with the house shaking and the window shaking, and I see the train light just barreling right into my face, and at every intersection, there's just, you know, they got a, the thing goes on. And in that moment, I thought, dear God, I'm dead. The train has jumped the track, and it's barely, it's come off the, it's crossed the road, it's going through the yard, it's coming through the window, and I sat up, and I'm sweating, and I sat up, and I, and I went to scream, like, a, like, scream, but you cannot inhale and scream at the same time, and I seriously went, and just nothing, nothing. By the grace of God, nothing came out of my mouth, Okay. <clears throat> Because <laughs> a half a second later, then I see it turn, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on the track next to the road. It's many hundred feet away in front of the house. Because if I would have screamed out, dear God, help me, I think her dad would have come over and said, you're out of here, okay? You're clearly not the man I need to protect my wife. But sometimes when we're afraid, we can just lose all logic, like, it just doesn't even make sense. The facts that surround us are just trumped by the fear that's in us. And so this is what's happening. So that's, that's the report that these men give. It's not even real. Look, there's giants there. And, and we're like grasshoppers. And they're just going to devour us. And they're just full of fear. And so verse 14, <clears throat> and then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. You see, fear is very, very contagious. Fear is very, very contagious. As soon as these spies start, start talking junk, start talking about how scared they are and what they saw, then other people can kind of catch on to that too, and they think, oh, no. Verse 2, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become like prey. Would it not be better, <clears throat> would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see, fear can so warp the way you think. Fear can cause very, very selective amnesia. Because you know what's crazy? These are the people that walked through the Red Sea. These are the people that experienced the Passover and the ten plagues that God sent to thwart Pharaoh and the Egyptian army to let his people go. They personally experienced that. They walked through the Red Sea. They saw Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. They have experienced time after time after time the sacrifice for sin on the Day of Atonement, on the Day of Atonement in the Tent of Meeting. They've experienced all of these things. They have seen God lead them as a people, as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. They woke up every single morning and saw God provide for them food. And then when they wanted meat and they grumbled about it, God still answered that, that prayer and they would wake up and get quail to eat and do nothing about it and just receive it. That God has demonstrated his love for this people over and over and over and over. But in this moment, in this moment, all they can see is their problem. They don't have their eyes on God. They do not remember His faithfulness. All they can do is the fear causes them to be just focused on what they perceive. 
is an obstacle that's just, they just can't overcome. And so they think, what are we going to do? I think it'd be better for us to just die out here. Is that what God's plan is for us? So if I could step in, I'd be like, are you people crazy? You think he brought you out of Egypt to kill you here? He just let you die there. What is wrong with you? Did you forget? And then, verse 5, then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Verse 6, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, it's there for your own reading, pronounce it however you want, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. That was a way of, that meant that you were lamenting. And they said to all the congregation of the people of the Lord, listen to what they say, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Like it's not what these men were reporting. Verse eight, here's, here's the key. If the Lord delights in us. Now, I would, I would make a case that they could say, I know the Lord delights in us. And here's how I know all of that evidence that I just laid out for us. Remember, even before we had done anything, he pulled us out of Egypt and he said, I am your God and you are my people as he established the Ten Commandments. Like he does delight in us. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And here it is again. Do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, look, why? Why should you not fear them? At no point do do Joshua or Caleb talk about the weakness of the men or their own personal strength. That is not the reason at all. He doesn't say, don't fear them. We can take them. All right, I know they're big, but we're quick. He doesn't say that. They're big and dumb. No, he doesn't say anything about their weakness, nor does he say anything about, man, I've been practicing, all right? I've been watching ninja movies. They're going to circle us, attack one at a time. I got them. Don't worry about this. It's not that at all. The reason, the only reason to not fear is because the Lord is with us. This this battle is not about our battle and what we can or can't do, because I promise you, if we go over there on our own, yeah, we're toast. But the good news is, this is not our battle, that the Lord delights in us, and the Lord has already promised to give us this land. We, just, we don't have to pray about this. All right, this is a promise of God, and we got to trust God for who He is and what He's promised, and He always comes through on His promise. And so Joshua gives this incredible, motivating talk, and the people are looking at him kind of like you're looking at me. And then look what they do. Hopefully it doesn't go this way for me. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So his pep talk did not go over very well at all. <laughs> but, now here's a good but. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And so God's presence shows up in a, in a tangible way. And then Moses goes into the tent of meeting. I'm not going to read the rest. I'm just going to tell you what happened. And so essentially, God says to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm sick of it. The people who despise me, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. And then Moses is a mediator on behalf of the people to God. you got sinful people and a holy and just God. And Moses acts as a mediator on the people's behalf. And so essentially, God says, okay, I'm not going to wipe them all out and start all over with you. <clears throat> Here's what I am going to do. I'm going to give them everything they ask for. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them everything they're asked for. They don't want to go into the promised land? No problem. They're not going into the promised land. They're worried about what's going to happen to their kids? No problem. It will be their kids that go into the promised land. 
Now, one of the things that you've got to understand when you read the Scriptures, a big reason we're spending so much time in the Old Testament over the, the next bunch of years, and we have the past couple of years, is this, is I'm the kind of preacher that believes that the whole thing is a big neon sign pointing to Jesus. That's what the whole thing is about. And it's not really about you, okay? It's not like you're Joshua and Caleb and, and you know, you're, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's all about Jesus. And so God's, God's decision here about what to do with the nation of Israel is a picture of salvation through Jesus Christ. That we are sinful by nature and our own action. We willfully and joyfully rebel against God. I mean, from our very nature, from the day that we are born, we're like the seagulls from Nemo, just mine, 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 all right? It's always it. We like to be our own God. And we reject God, and yet we have a mediator. And that Jesus is the greater Moses, and he is the perfect mediator between sinful people and a holy God. And we serve a God that will give you in eternity what you ask for in this life. You want a life separated from God? He'll say, great, have it your way. He won't say, great, but have it your way. He will seal in eternity what you decide here on earth. You don't want a relationship with him? In eternity, you will be eternally separated from the only source of good and light and beauty. We call that hell. Or you want a relationship with him, God will seal it in eternity through the blood of Jesus Christ. You will have a perfect relationship with the Father in heaven. And when he lets the older generation die off, and when their kids grow up, they get to move into the promised land. It is a picture of what happens when you and I are saved by the mediator, Jesus Christ. The old is dead, and the new has come. And so that's what happens basically for the rest, for the rest of the chapter there. And so it is. It's just a picture of salvation. But again, he, here's the point. Here's why I wanted to talk about it, and here's why I wanted to move through this part of it fast. The point is this, is that the opposite of faith is fear. Not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. I've had a lot of people at 1122 say, hey, look, I want to be a Christian, but I have a lot of doubts. Sweet. If you've got a lot of doubts, if you've got a lot of unanswered questions, if you've got a lot of things you just can't figure out, you have the potential to make a really great disciple. Really great disciple. You should read the Gospels. <clears throat> One of the defining characteristics of the 12 apostles is that they were full of doubt. There's one whose nickname is Doubting Thomas. You get that? Now, that's a bummer of a nickname, isn't it? Like, we get to heaven, you're like, you're doubting Thomas? He's like, really? Everybody's going to call me that for all eternity? Yeah, because, and guess what Thomas doubted? He didn't doubt, like, was it dinosaurs or not? He didn't doubt that kind of stuff. He doubted the resurrection of Jesus. It's the whole thing, okay? It's the main point of the whole thing. And he said, I don't know. When Peter's telling him about it in the upper room, he's like, I don't know, Peter. Unless I see the holes in his hands and put my hand in the scar, I don't know why you would want to do that. I think seeing would be enough. He's like, I don't know. Okay, yeah, all right, it's him. It's him. Totally him. Can I get a wet wipe? All right, so, and then what does Jesus do? When he shows up, he doesn't scold him. He just proves himself to him. So you got doubts? Great, great, great. No problem. Pick him up, follow after Jesus. The opposite of faith is not doubt, okay? The opposite of faith it's fear. And here's why. Fear paralyzes. Fear paralyzes, and faith produces action. And the Bible says, we're going to see it in a little while, that without faith, you cannot please God. Without faith, you cannot be, please God. With doubts, you can please God like crazy. In fact, you can have all kinds of doubts follow after Jesus anyway. That requires a whole lot of faith. But when you're afraid, what happens? You're like me on the couch there. You are just paralyzed, and fear 
paralyzes and faith brings to action. And so what happens? <coughs> what happens is there are two lists of people here. There are, there's a list of 10 spies that were full of fear that did not want to go into the promised land. And I'm telling you, you do not know their names. And you know why you don't know their names? Because they were, they were afraid. And they were not willing to walk by faith and do what God had commanded them to do. And then there was a list of two, Joshua and Caleb. And even if you've never been to church before, you've heard those names. And the reason that we know those men's names is because they were men of faith. And even when they saw obstacles that they know they did not have the power to overcome, they understood that their faith was not in themselves and that their focus was not on their problem, but their faith was in God, that He is who He says He is and He always keeps His promises. So I just want to tell you, I, I am not going to be the kind of man that lives on the list of the forgotten. Not me. I want to be the kind of person that lives on that list of the faithful. Not so anybody will remember my name. Joby's a goofy name anyway. I don't care about that. But I just want to be the kind of person that lives by faith and is not ruled by fear. And also, this church is not going to be the kind of organization, the kind of bride of Christ, body of Christ, that's going to be ruled by fear. You know, when we rolled this out at the beginning of the year, this, this vision for 2015, you know what, you know what fuels this thing? It's faith. It's faith. Do you know why we call our people to get connected here? Because by faith, we want you to get connected with brothers and sisters. And we don't want to wait till you have a need for you need Christian friends. You need to make them now so that when you get called out to the places that cause fear in you, we can bear one another's burdens. This is what we talked about last week. Did you know some, some of the reasons that you haven't joined a disciple groups because of fear? That's it. You're afraid they're going to ask you to read the Bible out loud and you, won't you don't know how to pronounce it. Me either, okay? I don't know how to pronounce all these things anyway. Just say it confidently and make it up. If anybody tries to correct you, you'll be like, oh, self-righteous, all right? That's how it works. <laughs> so some of you know you're supposed to go on a mission trip. You know you are. You know the Spirit spoke to you in your soul, and you know you're supposed to go. You know you're supposed to go. And when you hear me say things like, you got three years to go, or this isn't your church, you get so defensive and offended. I'm so offended. I don't care. Be offended. Go. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say you have to stay, all right? Come back home after, you know, when the trip comes back home. No problem. But go. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then, you know, when you flip over this thing and you look at some of these big events we do, you know why we do this? You know we, why we blow Easter out like we do and run all these services, invite all these people? Because we're not going to let fear rule us. We're going to do whatever it takes to lead people to Jesus. You know why we baptize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the ocean? Because we want to declare to the whole world we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be as public as we, as we can. If we could dig a big hole in Everbank and have it full of people to watch what we do, that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> the reason we fast and pray and get ready for saturated is because we are not afraid. We want to experience God in a new and fresh way. The reason, number three, there's a thrift store that we're opening in like three weeks, all right? The reason we do that is not because I wanted to get into the retail-to-use underwear business. Do you understand? <laughs> but we felt like God was calling us to make a difference in our community, that the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home, and we want to start making a difference in this community. So we're not letting fear rule us. We're stepping out in faith. This is a big one, Second Campus. That, that we hope <clears throat> by January that we're rolling out a second campus you know how many people I've had tell me, like, oh, why do you want to do that? Why don't we just kind of settle in right here? Because Jesus did not come and die on a cross and bleed for us to just settle in and be comfortable. 
That is not our job. We will do everything short of sin to make disciples of anybody God will allow us to. And so that's what we're going to do. And then we've called our church to a year of prayer so we can beg God, God, give us the gift of faith. Some of you still have not prayed for your wife because you're scared. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Grab your family together and pray like crazy. And so one of the questions I would ask you is, what are you afraid of? And I thought about this. I don't know how to handle every fear that's represented in the room. And I don't mean goofy stuff like fear of trains running over you and stuff, but, you know, those real deep insecurity kind of fears. And here's one, <clears throat> here's one that I know that almost everybody is a little afraid of, is that we're afraid of the Great Commission. When Jesus, in Matthew 28, he's about to ascend back into heaven. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 17. He says this. He says, <clears throat> and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which I love that verse, that the resurrected Jesus gathers together about 120 people on this mountain, and he's about to ascend into heaven, okay? Like he was dead 40 days before this. Now he's walking around eating fish sandwiches with his boys, and he's about to float up into heaven. And when they see him, some people are like, praise Jesus. And other people are like, I don't know, man. I saw Chris Angel do something very, very similar where he just, you know, okay? <clears throat> so some people doubt it's fine. Verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven <clears throat> and on earth has been given to me. And then here's the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and he gives the same promise that God gave to the, to the spies, and I am with you always to the end of the age. That God commands every single one of us that would call ourselves Christians. First and foremost, he says, hey, everything in he heaven and earth is under my authority. Now, we translate it go. It might even be better translated as you are on the go. So like go on that short-term mission trip and go to work tomorrow and go to school and go to your neighborhood. And as you are on the go, you make disciples. That's what you do. That means you, you tell people about Jesus. You share the gospel with them. And if you're like, well, I don't know what to say, you just teach them everything that I have commanded you, that I have taught you, and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the reality is, very few of us share our faith, honestly, because we're scared. Because we're afraid. We're afraid. The Bible says in Acts 1-8 this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, this isn't about you, man. This is what the Spirit's going to do through you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, it's kind of like in your own home, kind of where you work in the surrounding areas with some people who you don't even like that much, and all the way to the ends of the earth. And yet, there are people that say they are Christians and say they love God, and they're like, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm, I think I'm too scared. I read this article in Psychology Today, all right? I know you don't think I read that, but, you know, I did. And so it says, it says there are really only five fears that we all have. That every fear that we have can, be, can really be in one of five buckets. And that the, the, the kind of the lightest one is called the fear of ego death. And that means like the fear of shame. That many of us are afraid that we'll be humiliated. And that leads to a paralysis. So we don't try stuff. The next one, kind of the next level is a fear of separation, which would be a fear of rejection. We're afraid that our friends won't be our friends anymore or that our family won't be our family anymore. You go a layer deeper, and it's the fear of the loss of autonomy, or in other words, the fear of imprisonment. 
And now we're getting bigger. And then the next one is the fear of mutilation. The fear of torture or losing a limb or that kind of thing. And then the biggest one is the fear of extinction, which means the fear of death. So if you're afraid of heights, what they would say is you're not really afraid of heights. You're afraid of, if, you know, you're not afraid of the fall. It's that sudden stop at the end that you're really afraid of. You understand? It's that, extinct, that extinction, that death. Or maybe you don't die and you just an arm falls off and you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Now, here's what's crazy. If these folks are true, maybe, maybe they are. It, they seem like smart people. The reality is when it comes to matters of faith, there are three of them, at least right now in America, that really do not apply to us. The loss of autonomy, mutilation, and extinction. Like the three biggies. Like if you go out of here and you begin to share your faith, not in a weird way, but just in, a, in, a, in the way that you would do it. Unless you're weird. If you're weird when you share your faith, it's going to be weird because you're weird. And if you don't, you don't know you're weird, you think you're awesome and other people are weird. That's fine. Ask your neighbor, all right? They'll, they won't tell you. They'll lie there because they're afraid of separation. All right? So <laughs> the reality is basically the two things that we're afraid of is we're afraid of shame, an awkward moment, and we're, ashamed, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of an awkward moment with somebody. Like, I'll tell somebody about Jesus, and it'll get weird. You're like, "Uh okay. Or we're afraid that they will reject us. And the crazy thing is, is that, like, when, when men in the Bible talk about don't be afraid, they had all five to deal with. Like, when the apostle Paul talks about, when he writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power unto salvation, yeah, they killed him for that. They imprisoned him for that. They tortured him for that. They did it all, all five of them. When the apostle Peter, who stands up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and preaches a sermon that starts out this way, he's preaching to Jewish men and women and, and to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he says, God sent us the author of life, and you murdered him. Not exactly a seeker-sensitive Hey, here's three ways to be a better version of you kind of sermon, okay? Later, they crucified him upside down. But when these men and women in the Bible talk about faith, their faith always trumps their fears. Now, I'm not saying they ain't scared. There's a difference between fear and being scared. Scared is that feeling you get when stuff happens. And that's okay. You can be scared and follow Jesus. But fear paralyzes, and you don't do anything about it. And 366 times, the Bible says, do not be afraid. In other words, be scared. Don't worry about scared. Get up and do something about it, even when you're scared, and that's called courage. That's saying, I'm trusting that my God is bigger than these giants that make me feel like a grasshopper. And I'm going to turn my attention on the faithfulness of God, not the fear I have in these people or these circumstances. And so... I'm hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit would stir in you His command in your life and that you would not be afraid and you would not be paralyzed, but you would step out in faith and do whatever He says. Now, what He told every single one of us to do is to be men and women that are witnesses of Jesus Christ, that we tell people what we have seen and heard. And so some people are afraid to share their faith, and here's why, because you don't have faith. Like, you don't know it. And so you can only be a witness of what you have witnessed, and that might be you. Or some of you say, well, I don't really care. I don't really care about people that know it. I mean, you wouldn't say that, but you would find some other way to do it. It's not that important to me. If that is the case, then I'm telling you, you don't know him. There's no way Jesus, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin, his spirit could live in you and you not care about people that don't know him. That's impossible. And then sometimes we don't share our faith because we fear rejection. Now, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
And whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Some of us fear, we have a knowledge fear. We're like, hey, look, I don't want to talk about this to anybody because what if they ask me stuff that I don't know? And here's what you say, I don't know. Jesus said to teach them what I have taught you. So you just do that. Um, If you go to John chapter 9, it's one of my favorite events in the Gospel of John. There's this blind man that Jesus heals. And Jesus comes up to him, and the disciples ask this question, hey, is this man blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus essentially says, doesn't work that way. He's blind for the glory of God. Watch this. I had to watch this. But he comes in. He spits on the ground. He makes mud. He wipes it on the dude's eyes. Why? He's Jesus. He can do what he wants, all right? Tells the guy, go wash your face. He washes his face. He can see. Then that dude in John 9 runs home and says, and everybody's like, you look like the blind guy. In John 9, 9, he says, I am the man. One of my favorite verses, I like to quote it out of context. John 9, 9 says, I am the man. All right, but that's what he's saying. So then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come to the man and say, what happened? And And the guy, the blind man, says, I used to be blind, and then I'm at Jesus, and now I see. And they say, how did he do it? I don't know. But I used to be blind, and then I met Jesus, and now I can see. And then they said, where is this Jesus? I don't know. But I used to be blind, (laughs) then I met Jesus, and now I can see. And you know what the Pharisees didn't say? No, you aren't. Yeah, see, it happened. So what he did is he just told his story. I mean, it's what he did. He didn't have to know all the answers. Some of us, this is the worst one, some of us are just afraid of awkwardness. And so it, it paralyzes. You know, we're like, oh, I just, it gets kind of weird. Uh, Galatians 1.10 says, am I doing this for the approval of God or the approval of man? Essentially, what we're doing when God leads us to do anything, anything, sharing our faith could just be one of those things. And we get to the point where we're like, I don't know if we can pull this off. I'm telling you, we're letting the fear grow and grow and grow. And we're allowing our faith to shrink and shrink and shrink. And again, the opposite of faith is fear. It's not doubt. If you don't know the answer, no problem. You know Jesus, he is the answer. And so I'm telling you, I want us to be ruled by our faith and not our fears. That we as believers should be ruled by our faith and not our fears. The the preeminent text on faith is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I don't have time to do the whole thing, though I want to. But it is the preeminent text on faith. And as I read it, I just got to tell you, is that when the Bible says don't be afraid, it's saying to have faith, to have faith. Is it going to work out? I don't know. That's not the point. The point is to trust God in faith, to be obedient to him, instead of (coughs) focusing on your problems and letting them rule you. And so I'm just saying, as for me and my house, I do not want to live a life that ends me up on the list of the forgotten because I was afraid to do what God called me to do. I want to live the kind of life that is full of faith. And look, in Hebrews 11, it starts out this way. It says, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And by faith, and what it's going to do now is it's going to start listing 
people in the Scriptures that lived by faith and not by fear. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was taken up <coughs> so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him up. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah built an ark and saved everybody. It goes on to talk about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed Joseph. By faith, Joseph trusted God all throughout his circumstances. He's just rolling through the history of Israel and talking about it was faith, it was faith, it was faith. And I think kind of what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's like building this chain, this chain of faith. And every little link in it was this man or woman that, that was ruled by faith instead of by fear. And then he gets to Moses. <clears throat> by faith, Moses crossed the Red Sea, and he talks about all that Moses did. And then when you fast forward down to verse 32, he goes on to say this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. At this point, every, at least every man in here is like, that's what I want. Like, I want to live that kind of life by faith. I want to shut down armies and shut up the mouths of lions. <clears throat> and then, if you look in the text, there's not even a conjunction. The next sentence just goes, some were tortured. You're like, oh, wait a minute. It's like a Tarantino movie. You're like, what? They were dead the whole time? Like, it just switched scenes. You know, you don't even know what's happening. <clears throat> it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. In other words, it's saying that God judges by a different scorecard. The point is not whether you're successful or not. The point is, do you trust God to step out and do what He has called you to do? Because some of us, by faith, are going to step out and change the world. And some of us, by faith, are going to go out and get crushed. And God says, and both were judged as faithful. It's a totally different scorecard. <clears throat> and it says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what is promised. That's Jesus. Since God has provided something better for us. Again, that's Jesus. In other words, these men and women stepped out in faith because they were trusting in a promise that was yet to be fulfilled that Jesus would one day send a Messiah. As Christians, we get to step out in faith looking back on what God has already done. And if God put Jesus, His Son, on the cross to endure the full wrath of God for the penalty of our sin and did not leave Him in the grave but resurrected Him from the grave, then by faith, we have the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead and we can do anything He's called us to do <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 1, the first couple of words are the most important. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
I hope you see what he's doing here. He's like, look, from Abraham to Isaac to Esau to Jacob to Joseph to all the prophets to the judges that you don't even know their names. All of these people, by faith, God did miraculous things. God did amazing things. And by faith, <coughs> all of them trusted God more than they were intimidated by their circumstances. And therefore, Christian, since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, this is not how it works, but this is the image that I get in my mind. When I read this, this Hebrews 11 is like the hall of faith. And when I read it, <clears throat> and I get to that part in 12 where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by these men and women of faith, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race that God marked out for us. You're not called to run Moses' race. You run the race that Jesus has marked out for you. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our life. And here's the image I get of, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I get the image of like the Colosseum in Rome and the gladiators on the battlefield. And, it's, and what we're doing, what God has called us to do, it's not new, it's just our turn. And in the stands, again, this is not how it works. This is just my image. And in the stands, there are, there are thousands of years worth of men and women who, by faith, did all these amazing things. That like Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Joseph and the prophets and David and Samuel and Saul and all those people that have gone before us. And they are in the stands and they're cheering us on. And they're saying, hey, listen, you live by faith and not by fear. I know this battle is tough, and my time is over. I had my time in the battlefield. I had my time in the arena, and I did everything that God had called me to do, and you are linked by faith all the way back, all the way back to Abel, all the way back to the very, very beginning. And now what you're doing, it's not new, but it is your turn. It's your turn. And by faith, you fix your eyes on Jesus. You get your eyes off the enemy because it's not the enemy that you're staring down that's the problem. Because if you look at him too long, then you'll be afraid. And fear will lead to, to paralysis. And then it's over for you. But you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And see, here's the problem. When you talk about this kind of thing, <clears throat> everybody thinks we're talking about somebody else. Like, you think I'm talking about somebody else. I'm talking about every single one of you that call Jesus Lord. Don't be afraid. You walk by faith and not by fear. Be not afraid. Because do you realize that the hall of faith is still open to you. It really is. That may we not be a people that live on the list of the forgotten because we are so afraid, but what if we lived by faith and we could be recorded like in the hall of faith? You see, <clears throat> because in 30 AD, in Caesarea Philippi, by faith, Jesus said to 12 young men, upon this rock I will build my church. 2,000 years ago. And then in 32 AD in Jerusalem, Jesus, by faith, tells about 120 people, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And in 42 AD, by faith, Mark goes to Egypt. And in 49, by faith, Paul goes to Turkey. And in 51, by faith, Paul goes to Greece. And in 52, by faith, Thomas goes to India. And in 54, <coughs> by faith, Paul goes on his third and final missionary trip. In 174 AD, AD by faith, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280 AD, by faith, the first rural church emerges in northern Italy. 
by 350 AD, by faith, there are 31.7 million Romans that claim Christ as their Lord. That's 57% of the Roman population. By 432 AD, by faith, Patrick heads to Ireland, and we celebrate this every year by drinking green beer. In 596, by faith, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to England to reintroduce the gospel in a place called Canterbury, and they baptized 10,000 people in the first two years. In 635, by faith, the first Christian missionaries go to China. In 740, by faith, Irish monks land in Iceland. In 900 AD, missionaries, by faith, reach Norway. In 1490 AD, by faith, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. In 1501, by faith, Pope Alexander VI grants to Spain all newly discovered lands in the Americas under the provision that religious education be provided to the natives. In 1537, by faith, Pope Paul III orders that the Indians of the New World be brought to Christ by the preaching of the divine word and the example of a good life. In 1554, by faith, 1,500 new Christians are reported in Thailand. In 1671, by faith, missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. In 1735, by faith, Charles and John Wesley come to America on a missionary journey. In 1784, by faith, Wesley ordains ministers and sends them to America. In 1828, by faith, the Methodist Protestant Church is formed, which makes up the Methodist denomination. In 1937, by faith, Rising Tide Methodist gathers above the bakery in Jacksonville, Florida and begins praying for revival in Jacksonville. In 1939, by faith, Rising Tide builds a chapel at Beach and Seventh and becomes Beach Church. In 1962, by faith, the first Walmart opened in Rogers, Arkansas. In 1986, by faith, the Walmart at Beach and San Pablo opened. In 1987, by faith, Coach Bull Lee shares the gospel with me. In September of 2003, by faith, Pastor Jerry Sweat, senior pastor at Beach United Methodist Church, takes a chance and hires a recovering Southern Baptist as a youth pastor. September 2008, by faith, 1122, the service begins. September 23rd, 2012, by faith, the launch of the church of 1122. Somewhere in the past three years, by faith, you started attending the church of 1122. And by faith, now here's the best part, and by faith, you will fill in the blank. Do you get that? Like it started all the way back. All the way back with Abel offering to God a more acceptable sacrifice. And by faith, Moses. And by faith, Abraham. And by faith, Paul. And by faith, Jesus. And by faith, Pastor Jerry Sweat. And by faith, a bunch of us together launched this church. You know how this church got launched? It's because here's what I refuse to do. I refuse to live on the list of the forgotten. The easiest thing for me to do three and a half years ago would have been just get a job at some other church that was already a church. But you know what I refuse to do? I fear missed opportunity way more than I fear failure. I fear missing out on God's best plan for me way more than I fear striking out. No problem. If I'm going to strike out, I'm swinging for it all, though. And so by faith, a bunch of us got together, and here's what I refuse to do. I refuse to be an old man laying in my bed one day just wondering what might have happened if way back then, by faith, I would have done what God told me. I refuse to do it. And so by faith, by faith, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is he called you to do. Because here's what I promise you. 
You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You could be in the, in the halls of faith and not on the list of the forgotten. And so maybe for you, maybe for you is that by faith, you shared your faith with somebody else. Because do you realize that when he's commanded every single one of us to do it that believes in Jesus? And when you do it, you have no idea what God might do. Don't believe me? Watch this story of a life transformed because somebody had the guts to share their faith. Well, I am a, I would call myself a recovering perfectionist. And so from the outside, I thought I was doing pretty good. Uh, I viewed myself as being a pretty good Christian and having it all together. I was striving for perfection, even though people might not have realized that. On the inside, it was constant turmoil. I, you know, had a period of about two to three years of a really difficult uh, time period in my life. Um, I struggled with, uh, I would say it was the mild form of an eating disorder, and that was obviously backed by perfectionism, the desire for perfection. And during that time later, a couple, like a year later after that started, I actually had a miscarriage. And once that happened, um, all the walls of perfectionism just came completely tumbling down. He gave me this vision one day, and it was so powerful. It was a picture of old grave clothes on one side of the room, and on the other side of the room, these beautiful, perfect new clothes. And every day, throughout my, almost my entire life, I would wake up and look at both and choose the grave clothes. And I would choose to try to make them look better and look like those new ones. And it was like God just slowly and lovingly wooed me to himself to say, Sarah, you can't do it that way. And not only that, I love you so much that those clothes over there that are new, they're just for you. And they're only for you. And they're free. And you don't have to do anything to be able to wear them. Basically, my idol of perfectionism and self-righteousness, which is man-made, a, a man-made belief of what the gospel is, has been completely shattered by the cross and its implications for me as a believer. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> so Sarah, who was it that had the faith to share the gospel with you? It was my sister, Liz, Liz Sims. And little did she know that when she was not afraid, but when she had the faith and the courage to share the gospel with her sister, that it would make an eternal difference. So Sarah, who is Jesus? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Upon your public profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my Christian sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and we praise you that faith is a gift from you, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in a mighty, mighty way in this place, this very night. God, I pray, I know that you've spoken clearly to some people in this room. And they know, God, they're afraid. They're afraid to step out because the giants are big and they feel like a grasshopper. God, I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I thank you that you are greater than our fears. You are greater than our fears. God, may we trust you that you're a good dad 
that your promises are true, that you are who you say you are, you never break your promises, and that in Christ, when He says, it is finished, He was putting our fears to death. God, I pray, I pray that this would be a movement, a movement of faith-filled men and women. A movement for, for all kind of people, God, to be full of faith, not fear, so that, so that all of Jacksonville and all of the entire world could come to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to respond to the gospel. We're going to respond not in fear. We're going to respond in faith. You know, a bunch of you have felt a tug to come down and pray at the altar for like four weeks now, and you've been afraid. Don't be afraid. Step out in faith and just come pray. Just come lay your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And we're going to respond in faith to bring our tithes and offerings, our first and best to God, because He first loved us by giving us His best in Jesus. And we're going to respond in faith by lifting up our hands and lifting up our voices because he is worthy of worship. Let us respond.